0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Thank God I'm not who I used to be. That could be the testimony of all of us who've been... Born again, been saved by Jesus Christ. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter three. Can you imagine if I were to come up here and tell you, well, Jesus isn't really God because God would not become a man because all matter is evil. And what if I told you that since it all matter is evil, then it doesn't matter how you live, with your body, you can do anything you want to do. If it feels good, you just do it. If you're tempted to do it, you go right ahead because the only thing that matters is your spirit, that your body is evil. Can you imagine if I were to tell you that, that uh, only the, a select few people who have been enlightened and have special knowledge are going to go to heaven? Now, that's the kind of stuff that John is dealing with in this letter. He's 90-something years old. There are second and third generation Christians who've never seen Jesus. John's the last apostle living that has actually seen Jesus. And this letter is writing to combat that. We've already seen that he said, first of all, he just comes out with, with... pulling no punches by saying, I was with Jesus. I touched him. I know he's real. Some of them were saying that Jesus really didn't become a man. He just looked like a man, but he wasn't really flesh and bones. Jesus said, oh, that's wrong. I I saw him. I touched him. I watched him die. And then he said, if you really follow Jesus, it's not for a select group of people who've been enlightened. He said, first of all, your life's going to be shown in the way that you live. It's kind of a moral test. Then he goes on to say, if you really love Jesus and follow him, you're not going to seclude yourself from everyone else. You're going to love the brethren. And then he goes on to say, and not only that, but if you love the Lord and you've been born again, you're going to have the right kind of doctrine. Now, he's about to repeat himself again. In fact, this time he's going to use some contrast. You're going to see the difference in sin and righteousness contrast. You're going to see the difference in love and hate, contrast. You're going to see the difference in doctrine and error, contrast. And today, that first contrast begins in verse four. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. A man had a bad habit, coming home drunk, so drunk that he would just pass out in his clothes, fall on the bed, pass out. He snored so loudly his wife couldn't, couldn't sleep. She'd finally had enough after several years of this. She went to the doctor and said, is there anything I can do to keep my husband from snoring so loudly? I can't sleep. He comes home drunk. He passes out. He lays in his clothes, and he snores, and the doctor said, Next time he comes home and falls in the bed and he's drunk, starts snoring, tie a ribbon around his nose. It'll stop it. So sure enough, he came home that night, fell on the bed, he's snoring, she pulls out a blue ribbon out of the drawer, ties it around his nose, and it stops snoring. Well, for the first time in a long time, she got a good night's sleep, so next morning she's cooking breakfast, her husband comes down, and of course, he looks like he slept in his clothes, and he's got a hangover, and... His wife said, where were you last night? He said, well, you know, I I really don't remember. I was so drunk, but he said, but wherever I was, I won first prize. There are a lot of Christians who take a nonchalant view of sin. In fact, we're living in a time where more and more people are saying, well, you know, since I'm under grace and I've been saved, doesn't matter how I live. There are a lot of people who follow, who claim to follow Christ and yet openly defy what God says in his word is sin. Now, John would say, listen, nobody's perfect. We'll get that out in the open right now. All right, and there's no one in here without sin. However, Your life is not going to be characterized by sin. Sin is something we don't talk about anymore. Nobody wants to call it that. But John begins by exposing or looking at the wickedness of sin. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But you know what? Sin is the most powerful three-letter word in the dictionary. It's the reason that the world's in the mess it's in today. It's the reason that our jails are full and our churches are empty. It explains why God sent Jesus, why we need Jesus, and why so many people reject Jesus. It is the only thing that God hates and the only thing that Satan Loves. It's the reason hell was created. It caused the fall of man. It crucified the son of God. It condemned the human race. And yet, as potent and powerful as this little word is, you don't ever hear it used today much. You're not ever going to hear it on a newscast. You're not ever going to hear the United Nations used to describe it. To describe the problems of the world, most psychologists even refuse to acknowledge the existence of the word. And as a matter of fact, when the world even recognizes a moral problem, it never uses the word sin. It's gone out of style. Nobody wants to talk about it. Good old John does. He pulls no punches. In fact, he describes it. Now, folks, I want to tell you, if you don't have a biblical view of sin, you're never going to take it seriously. Because Jesus came to take away sin. And if you don't think sin's that big of a deal, then it doesn't matter to you on a Sunday when somebody preaches that they ever mentioned the blood of Jesus or the propitiation that Jesus Christ had to take away our sin. It doesn't matter. All you need is a few self-help tips on how to make it through the week and to make you feel better. But if you talk about sin, you know why Jesus came. And John begins with the problem that plagues humanity. Man calls it an accident, God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder, God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect, God calls it a disease. Man calls it a chance, God calls it a choice, man calls it an infirmity, God calls it iniquity. Man calls it a trifle, God calls it a tragedy. Man says it's a weakness, God calls it wickedness. And the wickedness of sin is described right here. Now I'm going to start off in a dark spot, but it's going to get better at the end. So hang in there. But I've got a point. There's a point to be made. You know, I had somebody tell me one time. It was in a group of <laughs> a group of pastors, and um, there were some young pastors in there. <sighs> And one of them said, you're you're one of those old-time preachers, aren't you? I said, are you referring to my age? He said, no, you just just preach like those old-time preachers. I don't know what he meant exactly, but if that's what I am, that's what I am. But I want you to see what John says about sin. He said, first of all, it's disobedience and defiance. Here's the definition of it. John gives it, verse four, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, anomia, without law. Whoever is all-inclusive, John is not referring to someone who accepts the law and breaks it. Obviously, we all have broken the law, but he's talking about somebody who lives as if there is no law. Romans 14, 23, who, what, what is sin? Whatever is not of faith is sin. To doubt God. James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. First John 5, 17, all unrighteousness is sin. And here in verse 4, it says to live as if there were no law is to live as if there is no God. A Christian can't live that way. When you become a Christian, listen, when you were born again and Christ came into your life, God did not lower his standards. And he didn't water it down and say, now now you've been born again. You got your fire insurance. You're not going to hell. You can live like you want. No. God still looks at sin as wickedness. Sin is not a defect. It's disobedience. It's a defiant, clenched fist in the face of God saying, God, I don't care what you said. I don't care what you put in your Bible, in the Word of God. I don't care. I'm going to live this way because I feel like it. And we got a culture full of people who claim to follow Jesus and live that way. You'd be amazed how many people don't even know what some sin is sin anymore because it's never taught. A sin is not only disobedient, defiant, it's also deceptive. Verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Verse 7 says, little children, let no one deceive you that word deceive planao means to lead astray to be led a wrong way if, and if you belong to Christ you're going to follow him and imitate him nobody lives without sinning but your life's not going to be characterized by it jesus said in matthew 7:16 you'll know them by their fruit Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith and Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So many people today are deceived thinking it doesn't matter. Can I give you one example of it? And please, please understand I'm not being judgmental. I'm not being hateful. A lot of people who hate the truth think truth is hate, right. Right. and so when I tell you the truth, I know, it's not because I hate you. I don't hate anybody. Well, it's debatable, but I don't hate. It. No, I'm just. <laughs> there's a couple of people I've had to mark off the list a couple of times. I'm just teasing you, because what I'm about to say is going to offend. A lot of people, maybe not in this room, but who hear this online or hear this on television. Let's take the sanctity of marriage, for example. I am I'm amazed at how many Christ followers cohabitate without being married. I, I, I don't know how you even begin to justify that. I don't. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what God would say. And God said, I'm not going to honor that. Now, I use that as one example. And if I hit you where you live, I don't know that. But I'm, I'm just telling you, you've been deceived. Because you've been led to believe it's okay. Everybody does it. No, everybody doesn't do that. But don't let them deceive you. If you're a follower of Christ, follow Him His way. It's deceptive. You know, one of the one of the things I, I've been doing a lot of funerals, a lot of funerals, and one of the things I look forward to, to the return of Christ, that there will be no more death. But sometimes I'm asked to do a service of somebody that I did not know. And I I remember a long, long time. I I guess it's pretty safe to use this now because it's been over 40 years. But, for example, I got asked to do, when I first moved to Strong, I hadn't been there very long, and the owner of the liquor store in Strong was murdered. They asked me to do the service. Are you talking about a challenge? What I'm trying to say is sometimes... You try to find something good to say. (laughs) Louis Grizzard. I don't know if y'all remember him writing. He wrote a book entitled, Chili Dogs Only Bark at Night. (laughs) Now think of that. I want to read what he said. He commented about an English minister who got into trouble for preaching a funeral and he told, the, he told the family that the departed was mean, never did any good and won't be missed. What he said. And Grisard believes that ministers should be honest at funerals. He, he quote, why should we pretend a person who has just died was not the rascal he or she was if it happens to be the case? One minister tried to soothe the family by saying that there's good in everybody. But Grizzard says everybody knew that Virgil Crabtree couldn't have gone to heaven. He made and ran bad moonshine. He got into a fight every Saturday night at the moose club. He cursed on Sunday. He refused to bathe regularly. The preacher might as well have been honest about it and told the family what they already knew anyway, that Virgil couldn't have gotten through the pearly gates with a gold American Express card and written recommendations from three of the original disciples. (laughs) Sin is disobedience. It's defiance. It's deceptive. It's also devilish. Verse 8 he who sins is of the devil. Now, can it be any more plain than that? For the first time in this letter, John refers to directly to the devil, and he uses that name four times in verses 8, 9, and 10. Devil, diabolos, means accuser or slanderer. Now, we get the word Satan from a Hebrew word. It means adversary. And if you want to read about the fall of Satan, go to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12. Stephen Alford points out that in his writings that John exposes three things about Satan. When you look at the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he says, first of all, Satan operates as a liar, intellectual sabotage. In John 8, 44, you are, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. This is Jesus' words. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. He goes on to say that John says he operates as a sinner, moral sabotage. Verse eight right here, he who sins is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then he operates as a killer, physical sabotage. John eight forty four: he was a murderer from the beginning It does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And here in verse eight, John emphasizes or highlights the moral sabotage that Satan brings. From the beginning speaks of Satan def- def- defiled or defied God in the garden. He led man to sin. He's the source of sin. He's the originator, the instigator. Those who live and enjoy the world of sin give evidence that they are His children. So if you're a Christ follower, you're not going to live a life that's characterized by sin. Now, let's move on to the good news because he not only talks about the wickedness of sin, he talks about the work of the Savior. Verse 5, And you know that he, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. Verse 6, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. And verse 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now John has exposed the truth about sin and the truth about Satan, and now he talks about the truth about Jesus. After all these heretics were saying well Jesus wasn't really God or Jesus wasn't really man or some combination of the of the two that Jesus was a created being but he makes it very clear Jesus came for one reason the first the one reason he came was to deliver us from sin Amen. verse 5 and you know that he was manifested to take away our sin. He delivers us from sin. Now, the word "manifested" appears; uh, uh, it um, not the word "appear" implies. It implies pre-existence. The word "manifested" means to be made known, to to be made visible. Jesus. Is God, was with God. When did he become visible? We celebrated at Christmas. And he walked among us. He was manifested. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jesus is a created being. They, they will tell you that, that Jesus was created, the first order of creation. No, he is involved in the creation, he wasn't created. He appeared. He was manifested. John said, He came to us. He showed himself for one reason, to take away. Iro means to lift up, to remove. The same word is used in John one twenty-nine when John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who iro takes away the sin of the world. Now, The word "Iro" implies that he took away our sin once and for all. You have any trash at your house? You got any garbage at your house? We're fortunate that we have dumpsters to put it in. Some cities don't have that. They put them in garbage cans and put them out there. But regardless, once or twice a week, someone comes and hauls off all your garbage. Takes it to the dump you know where the dump is. I guess if you really wanted it bad enough, you could go out there and dig and bring it home. You're not going to do that. But I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and rose again. And now, now stay with me. When when you ask Christ to come into your life and commit your life to him, God immerses you with the righteousness of Jesus and he takes all, all, he takes all of your sin all of the, the, all of the sinful garbage off of you. Where does he take it? He takes it as far as the east is from the west, according to Psalm 103, 12. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? He didn't say from north to south. Because if you start south, eventually you're going to turn and go north. If you go north, eventually you're going to turn and go south. You go around the world. But when you go east and west, if you start east and you keep going east, you're always going to go east. If you go west, you're always going to go west. So what is he saying? He takes your garbage and he puts it in a place you can't even go get it back. It's a place where you don't even know where it is. It's an immeasurable distance. When God hauls away your garbage, not only does he haul it off, you can't even find the dump. I thought you might say amen there. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5.21 For God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, if you'll notice in verse 5 of our text, it says, And in him there is no sin. He delivers us. Now, here's a problem. Look at your Bible. Look at verse 6. Stay with me. Look at your Bible. I want you to see it. Now, if you've got an NIV, this is going to help you. But I'm reading out of a new King James. If you're reading out of King James, here's what it says. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Verse 9 says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Well, the problem is, go to chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what's the deal? If I'm a Christian, I, don't, I do not sin. And yet, if I say I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. So how do you explain verses 6 and verse 9? There's a lot of different alternate explanations. I want you to see. Here's some of them that I'm going to tell you the right one. And I'm serious. I'm going to tell you the right one. It's not my opinion. Some take John's word at face value and claim that real Christians do not sin. <laughs> this view taken various forms, but in one way or the other, it's argued that Christians simply have no more sin, and what they do because they're Christians is not considered by God to be sin anymore. Catholic theology says it refers to mortal sins. They have venial sins and mortal sins. Mortal sins are the most notorious ones against God. Blasphemy, murder, and the like. That was Augustine's interpretation and also Luther's, but it doesn't fully answer to the facts that David's horrible crimes came to mind, or does it agree with John what he actually says? In fact, John says any sin is lawlessness. He doesn't categorize them. You can't categorize sin. Some say it refers to God as overlooking of sin. He just overlooks it from now on. How many of you believe that? Hebrews 13, excuse me, Hebrews 12 verses 3 through 15 says that the Lord doesn't overlook it. In fact, if you're His child and you're living in open rebellion, the chastening hand of God, not the, not the punishment hand, not the wrath, the disciplining hand of God will bring you back to Him. Have you, have you ever been under the discipline hand of God? I don't recommend it. Been there, done that. You get out of the will of God, you're going to know it. So that's not what that means. Some say that it refers to the new nature, that John is speaking of the new nature. He says that the, the new nature in the believer doesn't sin, it's the old nature that sins. No. Some say it refers to the ideal. John states a fact, not a wish. Well, technically, if you really are a Christian, you won't sin. That's the ideal. That's not what he means. And some say it refers to deliberate sin, that we accidentally sin, but no longer do we intentionally sin. Y'all believe that? No, because we've intentionally sinned, haven't we? So what does it mean? It refers to habitual sin, Amen. continuous sin. Now listen, the tenses of the verbs come into play here. Present tense means continuous action. These are all present tense verbs, which, which says this. Now if you, I mentioned the NIV, the NIV says that and I, I, I looked at it. it says who who continuously sins or who 's in the habit of sinning, in other words, your life is not going to be characterized by habitual rebellion and defiance and sin. When they look at your life they 're not looking for perfection, but the fact is you 're going to have done more christ like things in your life than you have in rebellion against him so Luther even said, it's strange, though I am saved from sin, I'm not saved from sinning. We still struggle with it because the only part of us that's not redeemed is our physical body. And man, it's got lots of temptations, doesn't it? Well, suppose you had surgery on your knee. Some of you have done that. And the damage is repaired through surgery. When you wake up after the procedure, you're told that your knee is repaired, but you still feel pain, don't you? Now, I've been told this. I haven't had knee surgery yet. Maybe your knee is sore because the muscles and the tendons were moved or torn or they need to heal. Also, the knee's better, but you still need physical therapy to get it back to the point where it's pain-free. Well, it's sort of that way with sin. You see, when we come to Christ, God does surgery on our soul, our spirit. He puts his spirit in us and our soul is saved. And then we come to him, but our habits and our mind have to be retrained. And until that training is finished, sin still causes you problems. And as we progress and walk more and more in him, there's less and less pain. The spiritual therapy is going on. You're not being more and more saved. You understand what I'm saying here. You're being conformed to the image of his son. And you know when that spiritual therapy is going to be over? When you get home. Amen. <laughs> it's still going on. Am I making sense to you? Not only did Jesus come to take away sin, but you also see the destruction of Satan. Verse eight. Someday Christ is going to destroy Satan himself. But right now he came to destroy the works of Satan. Satan's works are tempting other people, persecuting the church, accusing the brethren, sending false teachers, trying to ruin, ruin the world and rule the world. And the first thing he did when Christ came was to destroy the power of the devil in the life of the Christian. The word destroy means to loosen, to undo, to remove. You had chains around you, and Jesus has broken those chains. You've been redeemed. You've been saved. You've been bought with a price. You've been freed. You've been released. Which leads us to the third thing that John mentions is the walk of the saint. Now this is pretty point blank. Little children, let no one deceive you. Verse 7, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God, was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. You see by a life where a person is. One of the chief criticisms I hear people don't like church, there's hypocrites in the church. There's hypocrites everywhere. In all businesses, there's hypocrites. I mean, it's there. but if you're looking at people in the church, you're going to see all imperfection because we're still a work in progress. Our salvation is not a progressive thing. We're saved once and for all. In fact, if you'll notice the phrase "born of God," verse nine: "Whoever has been born of God, a perfect." Passive, singular. Perfect tense means it happens at a point in time and the effects are still going. Passive means you received the action. You didn't do it yourself. So when you were born of God, spiritual birth, born again... It happened at a point in time when you received the Lord. You confessed your sin to God. You asked him to forgive you. You believed that Jesus died and rose again. You asked Christ to come into your life. And at a moment in time, you were born again. You received the action. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You didn't inherit it. You weren't baptized into it. You received the action from God. He said, whoever is born of God, literally born again, didn't join the, not. he didn't say, he who walked the Nile, he who joined the church, he was baptized, he was dedicated, he went through catechism, he went through this. No, he said, whoever was born of God does not sin, does not habitually, continuously live in defiance and rebellion against God. Any of y'all had any babies? Any parents in here? Any grandparents? When, you, when y'all have a baby, do you look that baby over? Oh, look, he's got his daddy's eyes. Oh, look, he's got his mommy's this and that. And then they pull out all kinds of pictures. And, oh, look, they look just like you did when you were little. And they're, you're comparing. And believe it or not, the older we get, we still act like our parents to some degree, don't we? When you're born of God, you're going to see some of his traits in you. You're always going to be tempted. Temptations are certain to ring your doorbell, but it's your fault if you ask them to stay for dinner. Christians cannot live a life characterized by sin without misery. I'm telling you, you you may still sin, but you're not going to have fun at it anymore because the Holy Spirit in you, his seed lives in you, and that seed means the new nature lives in you. And that's not where you're going to go. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Church is not about religion. Church is a place where we come and worship. We come to hear the truth of God's Word, and we are encouraged and grow, and we're reminded of what God's Word has to say. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're not perfect. I know. We're not going to be perfect till we get home. But the desire in you is to honor and be obedient to God's commandments, God's ways. So if you've never been saved today, you need to understand, you can go to church and, and, and still not know Christ. I know what that's like. You can't outdo me on church attendance. You don't want to compare badges with me. Some of you may tie with me, but you can't outdo me. But going to church doesn't save you. If you don't know Jesus, no wonder your life hadn't changed. Now, what if you know Jesus and you're in sin today? You confess it. You're right, God. This isn't what you want me to do. God still loves you, God still accepted you. He's just saying, hey, that doesn't look like me. That's not what I said. You need to do it my way. And so you come to him and say, Lord, I, I confess that to you and you make that right with him and, and, and you be obedient. Stop doing what it is you're doing that's not right or start doing what you're supposed to be doing. Thank you for being, staying with me today. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, I pray for those that need Jesus that they would know how much you love them That you're the only way. You're the way, the way, the truth, and the life. I pray for believers who are living in defiance. Maybe no one knows about it, it may be a secret sin. I pray for those, Lord, who live in an open sin. But you said all sin is lawlessness. And that's not characteristic of who we are in you. So I pray you'll convict them and show them, look, I want to be obedient to you, Lord, because sin is serious. I pray for those who need a church. If this is the place you want them to come, then you bring them. But Lord, help us to take it seriously in our life. Would you quietly stand? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.